I'm Liza. I'm Riz. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Remember when our good friend Lexi made us um our sound? She slayed when she did that one. She did. She ate the house down, actually. She said, watch this, guys. What? Watch me tickle the ivories. <laughs> I kind of hate that phrase, actually. I think I just I love it. It's not good. It freaks me out a little. As it should. That's why it's good. It evokes emotion. Yeah. It's a bit spooky. We love spooky. That's kind of our whole bit. Mm-hmm. Speak of the devil. Paperbacks from hell. Anybody? Paperbacks from hell. Thank you, Mr. Grady Hendrix, for bringing these back to the light of day. Does he explain how he knew about them? He used to read them. He used to. So he. So he's old enough then, or what's the tea? He's old enough then. I always pictured him being kind of young. Mm-mm. He doesn't look old at all. He doesn't look old at all, but he's got to be 15. Let's see. When were you born, King? Grady Hendrix, please give me your birthday. His birthday's not even on his Wikipedia. 1972. Oh, there we go. Okay, yeah. So he was like 10 in the 80s. Teenager. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So this is, yeah, th- that makes perfect sense then. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I thought he was young. The name Grady feels young. It feels young, and I think because his horror is doing something very different. Mm-hmm. That he, I was he's like kind of like not woke, but like he is kind of with the times. Right. That's why I mean like he's got like gay characters and like his most arguably most popular book is about like teenage girls, but not in a creepy way. So I think I just thought he was like a young gay man, mm-hmm. but he is not young, nor is he gay. What is the new book that he, that's coming out about? What, what, what? New book? Witchcraft for Wayward Girls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he sort of managed to get an audience of teenage girls. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of excited for that one. I don't know why. I feel like... I feel like there already is something a little cheesy about the way that a lot of witchcraft things are done Mm -hmm. and therefore i think that this book's gonna be a a good spot for him yes i don't mean that in a bad way it's like hocus pocus hocus pocus is cheesy but it's supposed to be that way right so i feel like even if he tries to make this book darker it's gonna work well for him because he is he does love camp although why he publishing a book on independence day that's kind of funny fourth of july yeah why is he publishing it on fourth of july kind of cunty if you ask me (laughs) he said i don't don't know about the fourth of july (laughs) i don't know what's going on over there 
Yeah, because he's American. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's, like, British, you know? No. Still I think- don't know. I just feel like something published on the 4th of July has to, like, do with the 4th of July. It doesn't. No. But I'm like, eh. Have you ever noticed? Never mind, I take it back. <laughs> I was going to say that books don't necessarily come out like based on the season as much as movies and TV shows do, but they do. Certainly depends, yeah. Because I would remember whenever I was filling up like the new in paperback table or like the new hardcover table if it was summer they were going to be more summery books not not as a rule but you like wouldn't get a winter book in the middle of summer and vice versa usually for the most part yes i think with books but i'm i'm thinking about this in the perspective of a bookseller, especially if you're like releasing a debut book or something out of your genre or something like that, I think it's hard to release that in the season it's meant to be and get enough hype around it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you release it a couple weeks before summer, people can read it then and then hype it up all summer. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Whereas with movies, it's just like, here's the trailer. Do you want to watch it? Right. Of course I I do. Of course. Yeah, and then like TV shows with like how Stranger Things like comes out, came out in the summer, and then it took place in the summer, you know, so. Fourth of July vibes. Exactly. Um. Anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Just just us thinking about thinking. Just us living life. How did you decide to pick your book for this week? Um, When I did that Grady Hendrix meet and greet thing, a bunch of paperbacks from hell were sent to the store. And by the time I got there, there were only two left. Mm. And they said, which one do you want? And I said, I don't know. I guess this one. That's how I picked mine. What does your cover look like? It has a doll with a broken <gasps> face on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And her dress, you can't really see it, but it says Martha, because that's one of the characters in the book. Mine, I don't have it with me, but it was like, uh, I left it in, because I read it over when I was in the States, but it has a really creepy little baby bird on the cover in a nest. Can I tell you why I love that cover? Yeah. Because I have this, this, there was a thing that would happen like every year when I was a little kid, when I was really, really little, the house we lived in, the house I lived in growing up, like my whole life, had um, bushes outside of the house. But when I was really small, I remember every spring we would come out and there would just be a whole bunch of dead baby birds around the bush. Ew. But when I got older, it didn't happen anymore. But when I was younger all the time and they would look just like that where they were hairless and they had big bulging eyeballs and yeah it's just something burped into my brain so I love that cover because it makes me think about that yeah what the shit spooky ooky talk about spooky ooky I also baby birds birds scare me period so I like birds Mm -mm. They're not for me. I'd be like that. Uh, I picked my book because it was written by a girl. I, I will say that was a major factor. I looked at all the books that he had in the thing. Mm-hmm. And then I said, which ones of these are written by girls? And then I said, which one sounds fun? So many of them are about animals. I noticed that. I I was wondering, like, was animal horror more of a thing in the 80s? Yes. Because it's not really now at all. Mm -mm. But think about it. You had Cujo. You had that ant movie. You had that spider movie. 
Um, you Jaws. had Jaws. And I mean, those are just the ones that made it into movies. Right. Like, there's literally, like, you could find a, an animal horror book about, like, anything. And you'll see still horror movies now about animals, but they're kind of a joke. Like, there's, like, the piranha one. There's, like, the giant snakes. There's mm-hmm. uh, cocaine bear. There's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they're not seen as, like, serious. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like... I feel like... Animal books like that are what make you know almost like the books that were being published these paperbacks from hell books before they were paperbacks from hell that's what makes them almost like lowbrow horror yeah but honestly like they're kind of good well here's my thing i think if my book was written today it wouldn't be lowbrow. But it definitely was lowbrow for the time. But mm-hmm. I think that's only because it was horror. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's definitely a huge part of it. Yeah. That's something to think about. Because, like, none of the books, none of the stories in mine were silly goofy. They were all, like, really upsetting. Yeah. And I think they were just, like, those weird sort of, like, dime store books because they were yay i can't even remember what i was saying i was gonna say what was your thought it's gone now we'll never get it back it's lost in the wind say goodbye everybody bye liza's thought i really there's nothing in there's nothing going on up here now so I think, like, um, did yours have, did you read your, did you, I'm assuming yours had an introduction by Grady and maybe, like, another one? Mine had an introduction by a different dude. Okay. So I wonder if you didn't have the paperback from Hell version. Maybe I just had the original one. I may have. I may have. Okay, Slay. It was somebody else. I can't remember who. Mine had two introductions. Sorry, I have to roll my sleeves up. Mine had two introductions. Um, One by Grady Hendrix, and then one that I'm assuming was with the original publishing of the book. Um, um, and honestly, like, the one by Grady Hendrix... They were both great, but the one by Grady Hendrix, I feel like, was important because it put context. Because it talked about the author and the circumstances around her at the time of writing, Mm. which, I mean, like, isn't important always, but it's kind of important. It is important, especially with something that's not from our time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, mine was by Will Erickson. Um, uh, he wrote it with, he wrote Paperbacks from Hell with Grady Hendrix? Question mark? No. Oh, maybe. Yeah, oh, he did. He did. So did he talk about the author at all? He did, but is that he the did. one by Lisa Lisa Tuttle? Mm-hmm. I feel as though he definitely focused more on the actual content, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. He did touch on her like a little bit. But it was more, yeah, I mean, I guess it was kind of to give context to why she was writing what she was writing. And I think what kind of happens is that her 
writing is kind of labeled as like domestic horror in a way. Cool. And he's okay. trying to situate you in the fact that she's writing during like the second wave feminist movement. Mm-hmm. And so it is kind of reflecting second wave feminist values, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but that's why in many ways, because it was domestic horror, I think that plays into why it was maybe considered lowbrow in the 80s. But that's why I think it would almost make it highbrow now, because nowadays splatterpunk is lowbrow. Right. So, I mean, and this would by no means be cozy horror, even though it's domestic, because it has just horrific things happening in it, you know? Um, yeah, so yeah, I was I was a nest of nightmares by Lisa Tuttle. And then what was the name of yours again? When Darkness Loves Us. By, sorry, say again. Then. Elizabeth Angstrom. Okay, cool. Which is a pen name, by the way. We love pen names. Mm -hmm. Was yours the actual name? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Stephen Graham Jones. Oh, and that's the other T I forgot about her. She's technically American, but she's had been living in Scotland. Okay. So the book was published in the UK. It wasn't published here. Interesting. So the guy had read some of her books, but not this one, because this one had never been published here. And I think that's why they chose this one. Mm -hmm. And this book was also featured in the 100 best horror books of all time. By Stephen Graham Jones, I believe. Where is it? 100 Best Horror Books. It can't be Stephen Graham Jones. It's a different Stephen Jones. Which is funny. That is really funny. But there's a book called 100 Best Horror, 100 Best Books and by Stephen Jones. And this book was in it. But had never been published in the U.S. And I think most of the stories in it are a mix of like taking place kind of in like Texas, where she's from, and Scotland, where she lived at the mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And that's the tea. Um, I had something else I wanted to ask. What was it? don't remember well we're having a tough time with that today i know what time is it for you like three yeah i don't know why i'm so confused but i am i just woke up you just woke up you have a good excuse mm-hmm slay Slay. Okay, let's just get let's just get into. I just had did a zone we do an out. Intro? Huh? Yes, we did an intro. Yeah, we 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 did that. Wow, good for us. When was yours written again? Eighty five, and I was eighty six. So, do you want to go first? Slay. I'll go first. Slay. Okay, folks. Okay, so I did kind of do a writing scale for mine but it didn't work out great because mine, so as we've mentioned, my book is called When Darkness Loves Us. It's one of the paperbacks from hell. It's by Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Angstrom. Um, and so it is actually two novellas to make one book. Um, the reason why I asked Liza about the introduction and all that is because Grady Hendrix wrote the introduction to mine and he um, really talks about, you know, where this lady grew up 
and then she ended up moving to Hawaii and even though she had lived in Hawaii for so many years she like always felt like she was an outsider there um and I kind of think that that's important to the context of both stories um and there's also something there about moving from where you're from to somewhere completely new and different I don't remember where it said she grew up but I think it was like midwest um Her parents were divorced and she split time between their homes in Chicago and Utah. And then when she turned 18, she moved to Hawaii. So big difference there. Um, but yeah, so the first story is the namesake. It's When Darkness Loves Us. But interestingly enough, it's shorter than the second story. And in my opinion, it's less of It almost doesn't feel like the first story is the focus, even though it kind of is in a way. Um, so the first story is about a young girl. I think her name was Sally Ann. Um, and she just got married and she loves her husband and she's like 16 and they're gonna build a house together and they have tons of sex on top of the hill that their house is gonna be um and one day she's walking on the farm and she sees like these old stairs that go down to a tunnel that she used to play in when she was a kid so she just like walks down there to check it out and um they close the door on her and she's trapped down there in the darkness. And she walks through these tunnels and just starts to get her bearings in this place that is so unfamiliar when she's down one sense, you know. Um, she maps out the corridors and is like, you know, this one has the sea monster in it. This one's this, this one's that. She starts seeing the ghost or a hallucination of her old friend from childhood who died in the war. Um, and he helps her through things and teaches her how to survive. Um, which, because I just finished reading The Body Keeps the Score not too long ago, I know that that is a trauma response and that she was actually doing all that stuff like a bad bee. And she just needed to have someone else there with her so she fabricated him which is slay um but uh turns out she was like two months pregnant and so she continues to grow this baby as she's eating like slugs and like gross stuff that she's just finding blindly in these caves um and she has a baby and names it Clinton, which I thought was really funny. And um, yeah, one day she's like, I'm going to find us a way out of here because my baby, my son, because now he's growing up, she thinks that he's about eight, deserves a better life. Um, and yeah, the interesting thing is I had thought that this story was going to be about her in the tunnels and that was it but it's not it's like so much more than that and I kept being like okay this is happening and I still have this many pages left very confused as to what else is happening the ending bizarre devastating horrific there's definitely like an undertone of like
men and their need for like their need to like be the man in this um yeah I wrote the story pretty quickly it was maybe 90 pages I think um easy read her writing style is great uh the characters were okay I really felt like Sally Ann was like a strong feminist character even though her whole thought process in the tunnels is like oh I have to get back to my husband I have to get back to Michael but to be pregnant in the in caves in the complete darkness for years and years and years and years and years um I don't know I do think she's a really strong character and she is dumb stupid but I mean her name is Sally Ann and she grew up on a farm and she is 16 when she's locked into these tunnels like come on um And then the other story is called Beauty Is, and it's about Martha, who was born without a nose, and she's also autistic. It doesn't, I don't think it ever says in the book that she's autistic, um, but it definitely says she's, I think it says like she's developmentally challenged or something like that. Um and this story, I can see that it's definitely controversial, not just in the way that it's, I think, I think it's hard to write an autistic character when you yourself are not autistic. Um, and there's also like this thing that happens in the story this story is really not scary until you think about it and until you start seeing, you know, the foundations of Martha's life. Um, and the story gets into this thing where there's a guy who, his name's Leon, and he starts helping around the farm. Martha starts paying him and he fixes the roof. And he does the chicken coop and all that fun stuff. And um, they start to have a relationship. And everyone thinks it's weird because Martha is autistic. And also she's probably like 40. And he's like 24. And he's not autistic. So all the townspeople are like, that's weird. He's a pervert that's messed up but the weird thing is she he like teaches her how to read and you know starts just like helping her with everyday things and she kind of starts to not be autistic that's where I'm like that's kind of not okay <laughs> and I do believe that autistic people need commitment. Like they need you to 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 pour into their cup, you know? I think that my nephew would be not even close to where he is if we didn't put all the time into him. You know what I mean? So I could see it like that, but like not not the way that it was done and um but but all in all I I do really commend her for trying to do this especially in the 80s I think that that's really great and you know I know we live in cancel culture but you can't cancel everything and And, like, again, with the context, she was also a drunk at the time. Which is not an excuse, but I think that... I just think she was doing her best with the information that she had. 
Um, and I don't want to, I don't know. I almost like don't want to, um, I don't want to hate on it too much. Um, I also just want to find something really quick. Because I think this is important. So this is from the intro from Grady Hendrix. So let's see. So both Black Ambrosia, a different story that she wrote, but it's not in here. And When Darkness Loves Us reflects the monster as a creature of both incredible strength and grotesque weakness. But Beauty Is goes further. Its main character, Martha, is developmentally disabled and was born without a nose. Her stunted mental capacity and her facial deformity brand her as a monster, but then some local gutter punks start getting her drunk, and it feels like the story is about to crow. Who's the real monster now? But Angstrom isn't interested in a simple switcheroo. Instead, Martha is saved from humiliation and finds friends and a lover. And the more she's loved, the more her mind begins to heal itself until she's reading and handling her own finances. As she's welcomed into the community, she sheds her monstrosity and becomes just another citizen. When she's treated with love and compassion, Martha is a person. When she's treated with hatred and contempt, she's a monster. And like all monsters, she's a mirror. So I think that's pretty important. Um, and like, again, I, I see what she was doing and I really commend her for that. I don't know if it was the best way to do it. But I think taking on something like that at all is great and and it really is just like autistic people are people too and they should be able to be around all of us all the time and not so othered um so yeah um I will say I actually liked beauty is it I think it it got flat at times where I was confused as to like where the story was going but I kept going because of Martha herself. And also, it goes to the backstory of her parents. And her mom just seems so wonderful. And I'm just like, oh, I really like these characters. And you kind of just want to keep reading with them. Um, I'm also going to read something that's going to... It's a spoiler. So if you don't like the spoilers, hit, hit that skip button until you for a little bit okay because i have to read this um so the spoilers are going to start now so there's this part where martha was born without a nose but for the most part she was fine um her dad because she was born without a nose they did get surgery to fix the nose, though, but her dad considered her to be a monster and didn't want her out. Um, so she was pretty much confined to the house for a long time. And there was one day where the mom had to leave and she left Martha home alone. And when she came home, she found Martha completely naked in the barn under hay. And she wouldn't speak. She wouldn't say anything. And she was just staring. Um, so, and from then on, it was like she was developmentally disabled, I guess. Um, and you, and she doesn't know what happened in the barn. And it's not until the end of the book when a traumatic or the end of the story, when a traumatic event is happening that Elizabeth does this really interesting thing where she like sets almost two scenes on top of each other and it's like you have the characters of now who are like Priscilla, Leon and another L guy whose name I can't remember because he sucks um Leslie and they are um they're in set in the same scene as Martha when she's almost like reliving this farm scene that happened and so you're getting like two stories at once and it's really really interesting 
So I'm going to read from, I'm just going to read like a page. Um, yeah. She slipped past Leon into the bedroom where Martha was sliding along the bedroom wall, her eyes wide open but not seeing. Martha? It's me, Daddy. Mommy's not home yet and I'm afraid. Oh, Jesus, what is going on in this house? I thought I told you never to come in this barn, you little freak. He took a step towards her, into the light, kicking an empty whiskey bottle that went rolling across the floor. He kept coming. He didn't have any clothes on. A little thing dangled between his legs, and he was covered in blood. He stopped and turned on, it, on the hose, washing himself down, the blood running across the floor towards her feet, running down his legs. He rubbed himself to get it off, and it kept coming towards her toes her bare toes on the barn floor as she backed up and backed up. Well, you're here now. You want to see what goes on in here? Come here. He pulled on a pair of overalls and then came and grabbed her wrist. Come here. Priscilla grabbed her wrist. Come here. Martha screamed. No, no, I don't want to. Don't make me. She watched the blood wash towards her, picking up little pieces of hay and bringing it to her, to her toes. A shot blasted in the living room, more crashing of glass. They were fighting and Priscilla didn't know what to do. She didn't want to go in the living room, and she didn't know what to do with Martha. A heavy thud from the living room. The sounds of fighting stopped. There was heavy breathing. Then Leslie's face appeared at the door. He was bleeding from a cut over his eye and had a bruise swelling on one corner of his mouth. I told you to come here. No, Daddy, Martha whimpered. I don't want to see. You're so all-fired curious about the barn. I want you to see. He pulled her across the floor, dragging her feet in the blood. She fell, and it got all over her favorite white lace nightie. He pulled her to the corner where a shallow grave was dug in the dirt, beyond where the cows ate, and there was a baby calf covered with blood all crumpled up in the hole. Rats were already dodging in and out, taking rips of flesh. She covered her eyes. Look at this monster, Martha. He pulled her hands away from her eyes. Look, damn you. It was born wrong. It was born with two heads. It was a horror, Martha, like you. A monster like you. I had to kill it when it was born, like I should have killed you. He grabbed her nose with hard, callous fingers and pinched. Look at this nose. You're telling me. I picked this book out on a whim. Had no idea what it was about. And a little two-headed calf pops up? Pretty interesting. Pretty slay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought that scene was really great, how she did, like, the break-in with Priscilla and Leon and Leslie on top of Martha reliving the trauma of the barn. And it's almost like she's in two worlds at once. I thought the way that was written was like, blew my mind a little bit. It was friggin' delicious. So anyways, um, I loved this book. And I thought that it was really good, even though it wasn't totally great. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't with the times, but it was what it was for when it was. Um, and that's my take on that. I think sort of like as a rule, we can't like fault stuff that was written at a different time. Like definitely if somebody wrote that tomorrow, you could be like, girl, why'd you do that? But like, like you said, like it was what it was for when it was and I think that's really important and like I definitely agree like I don't really think you should be you have to think about things written before now in a really different way um and I mean she she was genuinely trying to do a good thing like she was trying to write a story about incorporating everyone into society you know right. if if it's almost like that trope of like the the um the like the outsider in the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, like we've always lived in the castle. Why? Why? You yeah. know what I mean? Let's just yeah. all live together. And I, I really think that's what she was trying to do. And again, if I think that there does need to be more exposure to autistic people. Like so many people in their life don't get to ever experience an autistic person. And it's and then they like don't know how to act properly. Right. Like, we always have, I don't know, there must be some kind of program bias, but we always have, like, a busload of, like, autistic kids, and they have, 
I don't know, like helpers with them or something. And they always yeah. come into the store and they all buy things. And I feel like some of my coworkers like don't know how to act during that. And I'm like, literally act normal. Literally, like I was just talking about this with my one friend too, because I, I, whenever I talk to people who are like autistic or any other form of disabled, um, mentally disabled, I just talk to them as if I would talk to this, a normal person. Yeah. Normal is a bad word. I shouldn't have said that, but like, I just talk to them as if I talk to a person who's not like neurodivergent in any way. Right. And I'm like, especially if they're an adult, like if, if it's a kid, it's different. You can kind of talk to them the way you talk to like a, if it's a two, an autistic two-year-old, you can right. talk, to, you talk to a two-year-old, but if it's an autistic 22-year-old person, I'm going to talk to them like they're 22. Yeah. And I feel like more people would know that that's something they should do if they encountered that more often. Right. Like just lead with kindness mm -hmm. and you're fine. That's really how I feel about it. Exactly. Exactly, bestie. That book sounds good though. It honestly was pretty good. I think I was thinking mine was going to be controversial for a different reason. Um, and that reason is I'll give a trigger warning for SA. Two of the stories, that was like the main point of the, not the main point, but it was like a driving point in the plot. And I don't know why that feels controversial, especially when it's being written by a woman, but it does. And I think it's because that has been so misused in horror before. And so it's hard encountering it now to make sure like it's not being, I guess, misused. And like Marissa and I talk about this all the time, but like that it's not like gratuitous. And I don't find it to be gratuitous in either of the stories. I find it to be very different. One of them, I was, it was probably my favorite story in the th book. And that was, it's actually the first story in the entire collection. And it's called um, The Bug House. Um, and then the other one is called Sun City and it's towards the end of the book and they're very different. They go about it very different ways. And I think the Sun City one could be seen as potentially more controversial because also the main character. Okay. So let me also just say the main characters of every book of every story, except for, I think one is women. And then um, the one that I'm talking about right now, Sun City, like the main character is like racist. And then I saw some people in the reviews being like, this lady's racist. And I was like, I don't think she's racist. I think that character is racist. Two very different things. You can write a racist character without being racist as long as it's like important to the plot of the story. Um, but I think the reason I think that depiction of essay was potentially more controversial and I have like feelings about it is that this woman who's the protagonist didn't actually experience the assault. She witnessed somebody else experiencing an assault and didn't do anything about it, which is a really tough situation to sort of parse out and and the uh, the sort of theme of that story is guilt and like haunting being haunted by guilt which I think was really interesting um but I think that's what makes that one like slightly more controversial than the other um these all the stories in this are really interesting so they're all kind of centered around like like saying women's issues doesn't feel like the right thing to say but um, they're all like, a lot of them are about um, like children are sort of a big part of the story um, or like sort of like the horror of it. Um, grief in one of them was a woman with her husband. Um, one of the really more disturbing ones um, that I'll just like tell you cause it's one of the shorter ones in it it was called community property and it's about a couple that's getting a divorce 
and the dog would be considered community property or whatever. So instead of one of them picking which who gets the dog, they put down the dog. And but then they're so grief stricken that they've put down the dog that they get back together. And then they have a kid. But obviously they weren't meant to be together, so they're getting divorced again. But now they have the kid. And so the dad like kills the kid this time instead of the dog. And it was very disturbing. And I was like, oh, um, really short story. Um, but like stuff like that, like, and then like a lot of, a lot of it was more sort of uncanny than it was horror. And I don't mean that in the definition of uncanny as in the uncanny valley. I mean, like actually uncanny, almost kind of like Twilight Zone where you're like, this is fucking weird. Um, there is some supernatural stuff, but for the most part, it's just like, you're not really sure. You're like, oh, this makes me feel kind of weird, but you're not like actually riddled with terror. Marissa, were you in David Gordon's word usage style class when we had to write uncanny stories? Yeah, it's like that. Like, it's like, I feel like he would have used these as like examples of uncanny. Cause I remember when we took that class, like nobody really got it. Like, here's the thing, here's the thing. F him for that, because I yes. definitely got it, and he did not get it to me. Yeah. I just think that I took mine a little bit too horror-ish, and it just wasn't doing it for him. Right. But I definitely got it, so got F him it. for that. I remember, I like, wrote about the little redhead girl. And that was uncanny. And how she looked like... And how, like, then I went on to then dye my hair red and how I thought that I might have been seeing my future self. Right. Which you did before Haunting of Hill House. The show. I did. I did. Just you saying. Did. You did it first, girl. Tell me. But tell I me. Is that, why does that not work? It works. Because I always remember the other one he read was, like, about um, a doll. Zoe's. Yeah, and her more uncanny valley because uncanny yep. valley is when you do, it it kind of registers as human but not. Mm-hmm. But uncanny is just like it's kind of like coincidence, right? Not coincidence, but it's like how would you describe it? I I don't know if there is something that like can actually describe it. It's kind of a feeling. Yeah. Anyway, there was another story in this called Doll Burger, and the title of it kind of reminded me of something Marissa would write, and it was like about like a monster that comes and eats burgers made out of dolls, um, but that obviously wasn't actually what was going on. Um, something more perhaps sinister having to do with children playing with dolls was going on, um, but yeah, it was called Doll Burger, and I was like, cow tongue summer period. Um, but yeah, so they were all kind of more uncanny than they were horror, but they still left you being like, I'm ill. Like this is sickening in a bad, in a good way and a bad, like sickening, not like slay, like sickening, like boo, like I'm scared. Um, I will, oh, there's also one called the horse Lord, which has like a freaky horse in it. And that kind of scared me a little. Um, but I thought the best one, like I said, was the first one is called bug house um and it's it's really gross for so many reasons um but it's just really well written and I think it does sort of kind of encapsulate even though like I said it's like about essay it does sort of encapsulate feminist horror and obviously like a man wrote this we wouldn't be talking about it this way but I don't think a man a man if he was writing about a woman I don't think he Obviously, if he was writing about his own experience with essay, that'd be different. But if he was, like, writing about a woman, like, I don't think he could. Because, like, you can't understand it in the same way. Um, And that's why I think so much with horror, when we are, like, essays controversial, it's because, like, men are writing it for no goddamn reason. And they also just don't even know what's tea. And then we get scared of even a woman writing it. Then we're like, well, this is taboo. You shouldn't do that. 
but sometimes it kind of like is cathartic probably to write and then obviously to read and so I do think it's sort of like um something that I don't know I'm kind of glad she did it and um I texted Marissa about it whenever I first read the story because you can probably tell from the title but I she's sort of alluding to that or comparing essay to like the idea of an infestation which I thought is so cool and so smart and so scary and upsetting but also so real you know like and I and I was talking to Marissa and I was like it seems like a lot of people lean towards wanting to compare the two of like infestation and I'm like, that's just so interesting. And then it makes you look at all kind of infestation horror. Is infestation horror always an allegory for essay? Or is it just something that like certain people will pick up on? I'm not sure. But I thought it was really smart of her to have this like, it's like basically this house that's infested with bugs. And then, and then she sees like a spider outside like devouring another bug but then obviously with the essay she feels like she's being infested right but then there's also a moment because there's another woman in the story as well who bugs come out of her and you find out that she had also been being like basically taken advantage of by the same guy and then you wonder about the bugs being expelled from something as like a purging of something as well. Um, and it just left me with so many thoughts. So many thoughts. And I will say the, uh, the guy who did the introduction didn't touch on that in the intro. He touched on a bunch of other stories, but he wasn't like this, here's the tea. And I was like, that's really interesting. Because a lot of people talked about how they were like really struck by the first story and sort of like really like disturbed by it. But I'm like, why are we like, who, who are we? Why are we disturbed by it? What are we disturbed by in it? Like, let's talk about it. And I don't know, like I said, like these paperbacks from hell, like I just wonder if the moral of the story with reading them is would somebody have, I guess, the gumption to do that? today or is this something we won't see written and published um again and that's my tea play that's actually really interesting yeah yeah I think you would like to read this collection as well I really want to get like as as many of them as I can. Yeah. There's one called Let's Go Play at the Adamses. And I heard that one is really effed up. I like want- when they were talking about them, there was a couple that they were like, Yeah, you're gonna read this book and then like you're in a fog for like a week. And I was like, I kinda want that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I wonder if it's a theme among them that we would find that we're like, Oh, that wouldn't get written today, but I I mm-hmm. like you know which Grady Hendrix would be the guy to take that on yeah and he would and he would um but here's the thing I'm I'm really against splatterpunk I I I feel like we know this about me I don't like it it makes me upset I don't it's not for me um I get disturbed honestly when I see people getting so into it on TikTok. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to psychoanalyze them and make sure they're okay, but also make sure that they don't do a crime. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, it's so interesting because it's like, why are some of these older books seen as like taboo, but then stuff like Splatterpunk is just allowed? Do you know what I mean? I think... 
I think, I don't know. I think there's something about Splatterpunk that people are like, oh, it's edgy. And that's why they like it. Mm. Um, and maybe, I mean, I think the reason we think Splatterpunk is sucky for the most part is the fact that it's just violence for violence sake. Yeah. But I think that's the appeal to other people. They like the violence for violence sake. Right. And to just have violence with like nothing behind it. Maybe that is someone's cathartic release. Whereas for us, we have to find the deep meaning behind it. Right. I mean, because here's the thing about it. Splatterpunk is all about shock value. I don't think either of the books we read this week were about shock value. Like none of it was meant to shock you. And that has to make you wonder if that's also part of the reason they went out of print, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it was kind of just disturbing people in a really human way Mm -hmm. instead of shocking them in a sort of theatrical way, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. Oof. Which is, I don't know, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough, because, like, I, again, I read... um. Oh God. The play- I read playground. Mm. I have the slob on my shelf, but after reading Playground, I don't want to pick it up. I'm like mad that I bought it. And the slob I know also has, I think, essay in it. Mm-hmm. I just got it because I wanted to read something by Aaron Beauregard, but I didn't want it to be playground. Yeah. And then I ended up reading Playground anyways. Right. And um I don't know. Honestly, I think it's weird that um what's it called? Gone to see the Riverman gets grouped in the same category as a book like Playground because they're really like I don't think that Gone to see the Riverman is splatterpunk. I don't the way you describe it, I would never think of putting the two in the same. It's really not, but I feel like everyone on TikTok always like lumps them together and I can't understand why. Um, yeah, I really just think there's something about, there's just something about the, I don't want to say nonsense, but the, like, nothingness of Splatterpunk that I think that people really enjoy. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you don't have to think about it, it's just gross, you know? And I'm sure people were probably like, when Texas Chainsaw Massacre first came out, they were probably like, why do people like that movie? Right. So so gruesome. And then we're over here like, I love slashers, you know? It's so good, though. Texas Chainsaw? Mm. There's also something about, this is off topic, something about Texas Chainsaw that's so bodily. Like, there's something... I feel like there's a kind of like human connection in that in that movie that we don't see in other movies. Yeah. Specifically like the way he just like manhandles them. Kind of like I appreciate Texas Chainsaw more than I appreciate um one who am I thinking? Wrong turn. Yeah. And there's also something if you think of like Halloween. Mm. Scream, Friday the 13th, all of those monsters, all of those like slashers are using a weapon. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yes, he does have his chainsaw, but he actually like touches them. Right, right. He, like he picked that girl up and like whipped her around. Like there's something about that human connection in a slasher that I think people crave a little bit more that we're not given. Right, right. But that's off topic. That's off topic. You know how we do. You know, we always are getting in a situation. That's just us. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that was paperbacks from hell, dude. Yeah, slay. Good Thanks, time. Grady Hendrix. We love you, Grady Hendrix. Yeah, thank you for doing this for us. Keep slaying. I don't know what you did, but you did it. You did it. And that's the thing. That's what we'll tell them, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, oh, fun stuff. What are we doing next week? I don't remember. 
Oh, duh. <laughs> yes. Um, next week, we are going to be reading a book that I'm really, really excited about that just recently came out that you should all be excited about. Um, we're going to be reading Jordan Peele's anthology. It's called Out There Screaming, and it has some of... It has some authors that I'm, like, beyond excited about. So, you guys also have to be excited about it. And it's to celebrate Black History Month, which mm-hmm. we... And it's all Black horror, obviously. And that's so triggerly lit. Also, I brought the I brought the book downstairs the other day, and I said, Sylvie, look, touch this, because it's, like, tinfoil on the oh, cover. Yeah. He loved it. Loved it. He loves Jordan Peele. He loved that. He, he said, said, I like you, Jordan Peele. Thanks, Sylvie, for the endorsement. That's Sylvie's review, in case yeah. you guys were wondering. We actually won't, don't even need to do, say anything else. You know, he just did that. That's it. I'm very excited. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So, we'll see you then. We'll see you then. Be easy, though. <laughs> Same Clear my my pipes. <laughs>